0: If you please um, open your Bibles to the Book of Malachi, at the end of the very end of the Old Testament. Again, you can go to the Gospel of Matthew and just go back to the left, and you'll find Malachi. Don't turn too many pages at once, though, because you might skip right over it. Uh, Malachi chapter one, verses one through five, is what I'd like to focus on this evening. As you find that, I'll be reading um, God's word aloud for us, and I'd ask you to follow along in your copy of God's word. Malachi chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the reading of your word, public reading of it. Thank you, God, that we can do this. And Father, now as we look into this passage of Scripture, I do pray, Father, give us understanding into it. Make us wiser than our teachers. Lord, make us people who are wise and who are understanding because we believe your word and know the God of the word through it. Father, I do pray that our Lord Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up tonight and that through each of our lives he would be magnified as you will be magnified beyond the border of Israel. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you a message tonight entitled, Questioning God's Love. Have you ever questioned God's love for you? You You may have. have. Even as a believer, you've questioned God's love maybe at some point, depending on what was going on in your life. And that's really what we end up finding Israel doing here in this passage of Scripture. First thing that we see here is that the Lord declares His love for Israel. I'll remind you that the word Lord, when it's in all capital letters, it is the name Yahweh. And um, it's the covenant name of God with his people. I am who I am from Exodus chapter three is what that where that name comes from. So the Lord declares his love. And we really see this right from the outset here. Um, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, Nahum and Habakkuk begin their letters, their prophecies, their books by saying the burden of the Lord Uh, Here, this is the only one that starts off saying the burden of the word of the Lord. Most of the time, the word burden indicates the word. It also means prophecy or oracle. But here, both of them are combined. And I don't know, is it meant to emphasize the message perhaps? But he uh, makes this statement to begin with. And you see here, first of all, the truth that is proclaimed, the truth that's proclaimed. And that is this in verse 2. I have loved you. That's it. That's the truth that's proclaimed. God tells Israel, even at this point in their history, um, uh, late in history, that He has loved them. But you see here that there's also a reply. In verse 2, the reply is given from the Lord. He tells them what they've been saying. Yet you say... In what way have you loved us? Have things in life ever not worked out for you at some point? Now, you youngsters, I don't know if y'all had some of y'all had time to actually experience this or not, but some, us older folks, we've all probably had instances in life where we thought things were going to be one way, but then they turned out another way, and we were disappointed or brokenhearted over that. Uh, our expectations were not met, therefore, we can begin to question God's love. And that might have been exactly what was going on with Israel. Because here they are about a hundred years after having returned from captivity. They are back from Babylon. They have rebuilt the temple. They have rebuilt the wall. But yet, they are still not the free people that they desire to be and that they saw promised to them at various places in the Old Testament. So I can see, and we could all see how they are quite... Possibly questioning God's love. Not possibly, they were questioning God's love because they said, In what way have you loved us? Just think about this. From the time of Abraham, and and does anybody remember what chapter it was in Genesis where Abraham was, or Abram was first introduced, where God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans? Anybody remember that first chapter where he made a covenant with Abraham? Twelve, Twelve, right. Yeah, chapter 12. Good, good. That's not bad coming off just getting married, Andrew. So, uh, <laughs> Genesis, Genesis chapter 12 is where that occurs. Since Genesis 12 to this time, about 16, 15 or 1600 years have, have elapsed. 15 or 1600 years of history. But yet, the people of Israel, after all that they've experienced from God, Delivered out of, ex, out of the exodus, out of Egypt through the exodus. Brought back from captivity in Babylon. Given uh, about 400 years as a, a kingdom and, or kingdoms, actually a little more than 400 years in the promised land. But yet they say, in what way have you loved us? Um, so that's their argument or their reply. But we see here now God's defense. His defense picks up here at the end of verse two. And it, it says, so I'll start back at the beginning of verse two. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? And now here's the Lord's reply. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Says the Lord. So that's the beginning of his reply. Just out of the blue, he brings Esau into this. And he he brings him in, no doubt, because Esau was Jacob's brother. The people of Israel came through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then Jacob had how many sons? Twelve sons. And those twelve sons made up the twelve what of Israel? Tribes of Israel. So the entire nation came from Jacob, from his 12 sons. And God now is going back and comparing Esau to Jacob. And he goes on in verse 2 and says the Lord, Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So you got these two brothers. One of them, God has set his love upon. The other one, God has not set his love upon. God, according to scripture, has hated. It's the same word that you might find for God hating idols. God hating uh, feasts that were not true feasts to him. For a person hating the ways of the wicked in the Old Testament. They disavow it. They want nothing to do with it. They hate it. And so that's the same word that's used here. God has hated Esau. Now, that could be very difficult for us to swallow. How could God hate like this? And what does it mean that God hated Esau. I, I hope that we'll see the answer to that question as we work our way through this. The second point is this. God The Lord demonstrates his love for Israel. An opposite of this could be said that the Lord demonstrates his hatred for Edom. Okay? The Lord demonstrates his love for Israel, yes. But in the same way, he demonstrates his hatred for Esau or for Edom. Uh, let's work our way through this. Hopefully we can make some sense out of it. Alright, yet yeah, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Continuing in verse three. And laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, We have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Alright, so let's just kind of gather in what we're finding here. The thing that we see has happened to Esau in verse 3 is that God has laid waste His mountains and His heritage. Does anybody remember what the mountain range is called or the mountains are called where Esau lived? Where the Edomites lived? Mount what? No? No? Mount Seir. S E I R, Mount Ser. Now, this is south. It's right above the Red Sea. It's between the Dead Sea and the Red Sea. I think it's also called the Aquaba Sea. So, it is south and it's just north of the Red Sea. And this is a mountain range, a place where Edom is known to have lived. The Edomites did. They lived up on these mountains. And they were a proud people. They thought there was nothing that could possibly happen to them because of their placement. But yet, God, it says, has laid waste his mountains and his heritage. So how, in one degree, has God hated Esau? He's hated Esau by laying waste his mountains. That is an evidence of his hatred. And we see in the second part there, verse 3, for the jackals of the wilderness. How would you like to have a bunch of coyotes running around on your property? Now some of y'all would like to say, hey, that'd be cool, I'll get my guns out and shoot some some of them. None of us would like to have a bunch of coyotes running around on our property. Well, that's what's happening here. Jackals are in the canine family. They're a little bit like coyotes. Instead of the people of Seir inhabiting that place, of the Edomites inhabiting those mountains, there were jackals of the wilderness, desert jackals inhabiting it. Now, in verse 4, we see further, even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. So, here's what happened. Uh, As I was reading up on this, uh, people called the, the Nabataeans, I guess is the right way to say it, in the 5th century, they came in and drove the Edomites out of their land. And then the Edomites went and they dwelt in a place that would be called Adumea. That was just south of Judea. And then after that, the Nabataeans came and they drove the people of Edom out of Idumea. So they had this idea that they would go and rebuild the desolate places. Now let's continue in verse 4 where it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Let's see here. Subpoint is this, by opposing Edom. Thus says the Lord of hosts. They may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. How did God hate them? He hated them by not allowing them to remain. He hated them in this way. They as a people said we will go back and we will rebuild. But just as soon as they would go back and rebuild God would tear it down. How's this different from Jacob? If you'll do me a favor take in your Bibles and these minor prophets and go back to Obadiah. To the book of Obadiah. And Here's what you'll find in Obadiah. Now I should have given you all a little quizzy poo here. I should have asked you which minor prophet. Had a message. Specifically. To the Edomites. The answer to that question would have been Obadiah. Obadiah did. Shortest book in the Old Testament. Now the y'all, y'all are following me right the Edomites came from who Esau, Esau. Right. All right so the book of Obadiah from chapter well from verse one all the way through verse 16 is, is really just bringing a message of judgment upon the edomites but look what happens in chapter or in verse 17. This is a message now to Israel. It says this, and we won't read all of it, but you'll just see kind of here. uh, Verse 17, but on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau. The Lord for the Lord has spoken. You go down to verse 21. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Because here's the situation. The Babylonians came in and frankly, it was around the same time period that they came in and they they wreaked havoc for Esau. There's a judgment upon them, upon Edom. But there's also a judgment upon Israel. The Babylonians did that to both. I think you can see that in Jeremiah 27. But yet, Israel is the one who's promised that there would be a deliverance. Edom did not have that promise. The hatred of the Lord was upon Esau in that he continually opposed them. Think about Jacob's life. Um, What does his name mean? What does Jacob mean? Supplant. Trickster.
1: Yeah, trickster.
0: Troubler. A supplanter. Is he the one who was trying to grab his brother's heel when he was coming out of the womb? Am I thinking about another one? All right, so he was trying to supplant Esau right from the beginning. Then he took his brother's birthright. And then he dressed up in lamb's skin and stole his blessing. And then. Jacob has to flee and go and serve 21 years for two wives. 21 years, wasn't it? Total that he was there, maybe. And then he returns and he wrestles with God in the middle of the night. He even get what part of his body got out of joint? Anybody remember? Hip out of socket. Let me ask you something. When did Esau have to flee his land? In the younger days. When did Esau wrestle with God and get a hip out of joint? When did Esau get scammed? Besides Jacob, when did he get scammed? Like Jacob did having to serve all those years for those wives by Laban. Here's the thing. God just sort of lets Esau go. But with Jacob... He wouldn't let him go. And his love pursued him throughout his days until ultimately his character was changed. He was changed from being a deceiver and a supplanter to being Israel. What does Israel mean? Prince of God. Prince with God. God pursued him. And in that, I'll just present that to you as hatred versus love. God pursued Jacob and would not let him go. Even though his character, the type of individual he was, we would look at him and say, man, let him go, God. He's not worth it. But God pursued him in love. The last part there is we see... <clears throat> Or the Lord demonstrates His love for Israel, because in verse five, your eyes shall see, and you shall say, "The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel." So perhaps in the in this um, continually opposing of Edom, of Esau. And how just what the Lord said would happen to them, happened to them. The Lord's glory does not stop at the borders of Israel, but it goes beyond that. So that his people are able to look and to see what the Lord is doing in his faithfulness to his word and to his people. Now, let's go ahead and go to some gospel conclusions first one is lit this. Because there's no doubt that some of us who are here present or maybe some who are listening online or who will listen to this have doubted God's love. You may literally be sitting here tonight doubting whether God even loves you or not. And the thing that we must go back to is Look, looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. The statement says, look to the cross and believe the demonstration of God's love for you. Now, I had when I originally wrote this out, I said, look to the cross and see the demonstration. But no, I would beg you tonight to believe the demonstration of God's love. If you turn to Romans 5, verse 8, and we'll read this verse. I'll read it aloud if you'll look at it with me and follow along. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amazing thing about this passage is if you look at verse 6, you'll see in in the several verses surrounding here, you'll see what kind of people we were. We were very Jacob like. In verse 6, we were without strength. At the end of verse 6, we were the ungodly. In verse 8, we were sinners. In verse 10. We were enemies. But even though we were in that state. Under all of those conditions. God in his great mercy gave his son Jesus Christ to die for sinners like us. And he has demonstrated his love. By doing so. So. If you're doubting that tonight, look to the cross. The second point, gospel conclusion is this. God's love for Jacob includes all the children of the promise. We're in Romans, so if you wouldn't mind turning with me to chapter 9. It's in this difficult chapter that we find this passage being quoted in the New Testament. And what we'll find here is that when God opposed Edom, the descendants of Esau, and then even Esau, he didn't do it on a whim. It wasn't in reaction to Edom or to Esau. It fell under the plan of God before either one of these individuals were ever even born. If you'll follow along in verse 6, Romans 9 says, But it it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. That means everybody who's an Israelite isn't truly an Israelite person of God, follower of part of the family of God. Verse seven, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise at this time I shall come and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 10, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac. Verse 11, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him who calls. Verse 12. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. That's Esau shall serve Jacob. When was that determination made? It was made according to verse 11 before either of them were ever even born. Verse 13. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. You see, God foreknew both of these individuals. He didn't foreknow them in that He would know what they would do. He foreknew them in that He ordained their lives. And then in verse 14, it says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? And some of you might be saying that tonight. Is there unrighteousness with God? How could God do this? Verse 14, at the end of it, certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it's not of him who wills. Nor of him who runs. But of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? Others might say, are we just robots? Verse 20. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it? Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy? which He had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom He called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. I'll stop there in my reading. The point that Paul's getting at here is that the true Israel is made up of not just Israelites. It's made up of Gentiles. And that God has extended His mercy beyond the borders of Israel to the nations. And the nations are now brought into the family of God. And this has occurred because of the mercy of God upon their lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The last point, the Lord is magnified. Beyond the borders of Israel. In Revelation 5 9, we find here a real simple verse, but we know from this verse in chapter 7, verse 9, that yes, indeed, the Lord is magnified beyond the borders of Israel. Because the Revelator gives us a peek into what is to come. In verse nine, it says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, that's it at the end of verse nine every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Chapter 7 verse 9, Revelation. It says, After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could number I wonder, was he seeing us there? A great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And then the last reference I have for you is Hebrews 13. In Hebrews 13 verses 12 and 13. Here. It speaks about our Lord Jesus Christ who went outside the camp. In verse 12 of Hebrews 13, it says, Therefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered outside the gate. And His own sanctified the people with His own blood. It's not just Israel. Israel. It's all the people of God that He would save. I will build my church. And Jesus is building His church. And you see in verse 13. Therefore, let us go forth to Him outside the camp. Bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. In a real way, the writer of Hebrews is calling us to go after Jesus, the one who went out in order to sanctify. Let us go out, let us take the message of the gospel. Because through that message of the gospel, God saves His elect. God has mercy upon lost men, women, boys and girls. And He brings them into His family by His mercy and His grace. And we'll trust Him to do His work and to build His church. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. And there's a lot of hard things we've looked at tonight. I thank you, Lord, that you've called us to believe, believe what you've said. And Lord, to know you through your word. I thank you, Father, that you are a God of great mercy, a God who deserves all glory. I do pray, God, that through us, this small church here in Harvest, Alabama, that You'd raise up a mighty people of God who love Jesus, who are growing in that love for Him, and who are willing to go outside the camp because we know it is, it is the Lord's will that the Lord be magnified beyond the borders of Israel. And I pray, Father, that whether by life or by death, that Jesus Christ would be magnified in each one of our lives. Bless us and keep us as we go. Help us, Father, to be obedient to you this week. Give us grace, Lord, that we may serve you with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I pray in Christ's name, amen.